You're listening to. Listening to Books and Bobo, a, a podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Martin Yue. And I'm Ri Ryu. And we are here to discuss our September 2021 book club pick, Chemistry by Waiki Wang, and also to celebrate our fifth anniversary for Books and Boba. Rira, we made it to five years. Congratulations. Halfway us. into a decade. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what a milestone. Yeah, and to celebrate the fifth anniversary of Books and Boba, um, we are releasing our first ever run of Books and Boba merchandise, which includes t-shirts, um, sweatshirts, and tote bags. Yes, um, I, kn- I know that it's very late into the game. I know a lot of podcasts and YouTube creators uh, create their merch like very early on, but we're... I don't know. I you and I just didn't think about it and now that we're at this milestone it's like yeah. We should probably release it. So yeah, after 5 years we're finally doing it. Um so like I mentioned we're selling t-shirts, sweatshirts, book bags um through the Bonfire platform. Um to find our store you can go to booksandbubble.com and click on the store option on our main navigation menu. You can find it next to the bookshop link. And that'll take you to our Bonfire portal. Um, The way that Bonfire works is we'll be selling our merch through um, limited runs. So the order period for this first run will take place over the next three weeks up until October 21st. So you just need to place your orders before then um, to be part of this first run. After October 21st, um, the orders will close and you will be receiving your apparel or book bags through the mail within the next two weeks. Um, Reba and I chose the Bonfire platform after countless hours of research um, as the best choice for us. And we chose it because it gave us the best combination of um, available products, um, potential revenue, and ease of use for our listeners. So yeah, we've always heard that um, our listeners wish they had some merchandise to show off their membership as a listener of this podcast. And now we're excited to um, be able to provide that. Yeah, if you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for sticking around. And if you're a new listener, welcome. Yeah. All right. So with that said, let's get started on our discussion for our September 2021 book club pick, Chemistry by Waiki Wang. Um, I wonder if it's wake because of the pinging but you know this is how um i've heard it pronounced elsewhere yeah i mean i mispronounced waiki's name in the last like three four episodes when i've announced our book club pick um so really i think you're i think you're good (laughs) sorry all right um so as always we'll start off with the book jacket description yeah At first glance, the quirky, overworked narrator of this novel seems to be on the cusp of a perfect life. She is studying for a prestigious PhD in chemistry that will make her Chinese parents proud, or at least satisfied, and her successful, supportive boyfriend has just proposed to her. But instead of feeling hopeful, she is racked with ambivalence. The long-demanding hours at the lab have created an exquisite pressure cooker, and she doesn't know how to answer the marriage question. When is all becomes too much... Her life plan veers off course. She finds herself on a new path of discoveries about everything she thought she knew. 
Yeah. So this was my first time reading this book. We were this is your second time, right? Yes. The first time I read it was back in 2017. I was around the same age as the narrator. So I had feelings. Yeah. I mean, I, I just finished this book um, this past weekend and it was a lot of fun. The writing style is very, it's, it's you know, stream of consciousness, which I'm not always a fan of, but I didn't mind in this one. I think it's because I could relate so much, even though I'm not an academic, there was a lot about the narrator that I can relate to. And I mean, I was trying to categorize what kind of book this is. And it's like a unique genre, even within Asian American literature, which is like delayed coming of age, right? It's not exactly a YA or middle grade like kind of story about like coming into yourself as like a young person. It's coming to yourself as an adult, which is something I think is much more common for people like the main character in chemistry, people like children of immigrants who I think even millennials in a way, right? Because we're all kind of coming of age later in life in a lot of ways yeah yeah i think it's also especially true of people who are in highly demanding fields uh where you're kind of expected to have high expectations for yourself and when you don't meet them you're extra hard on yourself yeah i mean rira you're also on record as someone who is not a fan of like this type of prose um how was it reading it for the second time I okay, so I wrote a review back in 2017, early 2018, and this is what I said. I liked how the book was formatted into short bursts of reflection. As someone with anxiety disorder, I definitely related to the narrator's ping ponging of negative thoughts. There is a sharpness about Waiki Wang's prose that delivers both humor and heartbreak in a really understated but intense manner. And I think that is true. Um, the stream of consciousness was, wasn't was really a bother to me. Um, it's really funny because uh, Waiki, Wang, Waiki Wang was a chem major at Harvard University. And I think that really shows because a lot of the prose reminded me of like scientific research papers or academic <laughs> research papers where it is very sparse and to the point but it cuts deep. So um, I thought it was very in character. And as like someone with anxiety, like I said, um, like the, the, the format of it in like little tiny bits and pieces, it made it easier to digest the stream of consciousness. Yeah, it was almost episodic. It reminded me of um, when I was in grad school, I was hooked on reading PhD comics, which I don't know if you're familiar with those. It's a webcomic series by George Cham that kind of like satirizes and makes fun of the life of people in academia, especially like PhD students and, and postgrads. And, you know, obviously I was not in academia. I was in grad school for business school, but a lot of the same similar things apply, you know, dealing with dealing with professors that are arrogant, dealing with dumbass undergrads um you know and navigating what exactly is you want to do with the path that you're on and it was a really interesting way to read a story um but it wasn't if you try to explain this format to like someone like off the street it may sound to them like it's really disjointed but it's not it, it all fits into like a very cohesive story about this woman who is learning to accept herself for the first time. Yeah, and like the format of it being scattered 
it's very much in theme and in character. So I I feel like if you do explain it to someone, <laughs> they probably won't understand why the format is that way. But once they start reading, it definitely makes sense. It clicks. And um, yeah. So the book summary does a pretty good job kind of setting up the story. Uh, and yeah, for those of you listening, we will be spoiling the plot of chemistry, which um, I don't think there's like no real big like twist or spoilers. There's no like third act reveal that this is all like, you know, um, a delusion or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, like just like looking <laughs> through reviews, like most of the reviews are positive. Like a lot of people really enjoyed this book. But from the complaints that I've read are from people who really hated the fact that there was no quote-unquote plot, that it was like so <laughs> meandering, that it was slice of life, and it was so slow, and they're like, when is when is stuff going to happen? And it's like, well, that's it's not going to happen because that's the whole point of this book. I mean, that's wild because I thought things were happening all the time. I mean, you can say there's no plot, but this book was all plot. This book was all like, you know, we are in the head of someone who is at a crossroads in her life and needs to you know, figure out what really matters. And I mean, that is the plot of basically any coming of age story, right? Yeah, I mean, if you look at just like the structure of the book in terms of acts, like you have the inciting incident, like right at the beginning of the front page, it's uh, the boyfriend asks her to marry him and she's just like, I don't know about this, ask me tomorrow. <laughs> And then, like, a couple of pages later, she has her mental breakdown. She's breaking beakers. And uh, that is, like, the catalyst for her coming-of-age story, uh, which is full of just misadventures, I guess, with the dog. And, uh, and, and then it goes back into flashbacks of her childhood and her memories of her parents' turbulent marriage. So a lot of things do happen. It's just that it doesn't really seem like it's a lot of things are happening because it is in bite size fractures and everything is so gradual, you know? Do you think it's also because this this is a, this is a character in their late 20s, which is an age where readers might be less sympathetic to someone who doesn't know where their life is going? I don't know. I feel like most people don't know where their life is going. <laughs> I feel like the people who do know where their life is going, like they are the anomaly. Yeah. That doesn't align with something that one of our readers um, mentioned in Goodreads, which is, um, let's see, let me pull it up real quick. Avon Love on Goodreads wanted to ask, uh, one of the discussions in the back of the book um, was about how Eric was the only character that was actually named. Eric is the name of her her boyfriend at the beginning at the beginning of the book um, would love to know what everyone's take on that is. And I mean, not to start this discussion of the plot off on the side character, but I mean, Eric being the only named character was I, I did notice that as well. Everyone else was named by like their I guess like their profession. Yeah. So you have like the lab assistant, the lab partner, the best friend and yeah. the mom, the dad and like the main character, the narrator is unnamed. So Eric is the only person who is named. Yeah. And I joked with Marvin before we started recording that I thought Eric was named because he's the only person who has his shit together and knows what he wants in life. Um, but in all seriousness, I think it was 
a purposeful choice by Waiki because Eric is the anchor to the narrator's uh, life. Like he does the cooking, he does the laundry, and he's the one who's like keeping things together, who desperately wants this relationship to uh, work out while the narrator is kind of spiraling in her depression and anxiety. So it made sense to me that he would be the only person named. For me, I was thinking along the lines of maybe he's the only person that's named because he's something that, like you said, is the anomaly, right? He isn't the boyfriend. He's just Eric. And Eric is this, I wouldn't say perfect being, but this like this entity that represents what a perfect life is. You know, someone who had... Loving parents, someone who grew up as like the popular kid, someone who is someone who is smart and passionate about his job and is not burnt out by his job and also really into music. Yeah, there's a lot of very personal traits, very like his his red hair is desirable. Like, oh, I, I hope, you know, your kids have his red hair. What a shame that genes don't work that way. Um, He's also super patient. He never gets, quote unquote, mad. And which is interesting because um, I think Eric is the subject of a lot of discussion in in the reviews and in for this book, right? Because he is a character who is essentially I, I wouldn't say done dirty by them by the narrator, but he you know he doesn't get what he wants, right? Because the narrator just isn't there yet, and we can discuss more about that later on. But um, I know a lot of people really empathize with him, which I found was really interesting uh, because. When I was reading the book, I was kind of thinking, why isn't he like doing more? Doing more, <laughs> why you know. Isn't, why isn't I, I, I know he's doing a lot. He's like quote unquote the perfect boyfriend, but at the same time, you know, as someone who, and I think this is an interesting difference in who reads this book, right? Because I grew up as a childhood immigrant, because I grew up with parents like with a parent a lot like, you no, know, maybe not to the extreme of the narrator's parents, but like at least with the same values. I felt like in the conflict between Eric and the narrator, I was taking the narrator's side more, even at the beginning of the book, which I'm starting to realize is not the common approach people took to this relationship. Yeah, I feel like with a lot of people, when they read the book, they figured that Eric, you know, like poor Eric, like he's being so understanding and sticking around and like, you know, why won't she marry him? Like he is like the perfect package. and. It just doesn't make sense at all. And I was one of those people when I first read the book. Um, I wasn't like super on Eric's side, but it was more of like, well, he's like a decent guy. Um, Like, I don't see him as a villain for asking to go on a break with her because he is so patient and understanding. But the second time around, I was more like, well... He's like a good guy, but at the same time, he's so used to having things handed to him on a silver platter. Like he never had to struggle like the narrator's uh, parents and he can never uh, truly understand that strife. And you can see how he's very much not willing to sacrifice as much as, say, like the narrator's parents because they... You know, they sacrificed a lot to come to America, and it really affected their relationship. And uh, there's a scene where uh, the narrator mentions, like, he was studying Chinese, and he was, like, 
he was really into it. But then when it came down to meeting uh, her parents, he couldn't uh, speak in Chinese to them at first. And he would correct the mom's English. And she gets really mad because she's like, why are you correcting my mom in her own house and making her feel like she's inferior to you? Do you remember the reason he gave to? He said, it's because I can't be charming if I'm speaking in a foreign language because I'll come off as wooden. No, he doesn't actually say that. That's what, that's the conclusion that she jumps into. Like what he actually says is like, well, we're in America and, you know, you should speak the language that the country asks you to speak. And then she picks up a stapler and is about to like, yeah, that's uh, that's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, but he has that. a redemption moment though. Like after that, like in, after that conflict, uh, the next day he talks to the mom in his broken Chinese and makes her laugh, and there is like a bonding moment. So he does put in the effort after, like the narrator says, "What the fuck, man." <laughs> Like, that was kind of racist. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason why I empathized with the narrator a lot, especially in the beginning, was you can see how he was unwilling to really understand her dynamic with her parents. Like, he would say things like, you know, I don't know why you let them control your life like this. Uh, He wasn't a bad guy. Like, everything he says and does comes from what probably a good place. But at the same time, he doesn't take the the opportunity, like, especially when you're in an interracial relationship, a lot of the work there is also to be able to bridge those gaps and not like have, you know, you shouldn't expect the other person to conform to you in, in any relationship, really, but especially in one that involves different cultures, right? Yeah, yeah. And also just like, this is something that has to do with his position in his field as well uh there are chapters where the narrator talks about like really successful scientists in in history and how um they were mostly just white men and even though like there's been some improvements in women entering stem it's like well what are you what are you going to do from there like they're not being taken seriously once they get there. There is like no preparation for them whatsoever. They don't have uh, that confidence and they don't understand that like it is an all boys club and it's, you know, most of the time you're going to end up as a technician unless you're like that one lab partner with three balls and, you know, is really good at her job. And um, for Eric, yeah, he's like a white man in a male dominated field. So it, makes sense that you know he is able to succeed to a to a more (laughs) like to a bigger extent than the narrator yeah and i mean the narrator mentions this in the book is he loves chemistry like chemistry is his life he like he knows it's what he wants to do and that's not something that she shares and i think this is something that a lot of people who come from upbringings that emphasize academics can relate to especially you know your like a stereotypical Chinese American, Asian American, children American upbringings where like you have to be a doctor, lawyer, or engineer, and so you choose those paths, even though it's not necessarily something that you're you yourself are interested in, right? And you know, people who choose that path for those reasons typically do end up like technicians, right? They don't 
it's not something they're passionate about. Um, for some, it is, but for a lot of people, it's just something that they do to make money, and because it's what the path set for them led them to. Yeah, and also like for a lot of those fields, there are steps. You know, they're very defined, like one milestone after the other. Um, like for to become a doctor, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, it's hard. <laughs> you have to put in the work, and it's it takes like ten years. But once you past that stage like you're set you don't have to question your career <laughs> as much as other fields yeah and the main character is the child of a phd right her father has a phd in in was it metals like metallurgy or um, um yeah like metal alloy yeah right yeah um which i think is another type of chemistry it's like a, a specialization in chemistry probably um well, he was a PhD student. Like, <laughs> he got his PhD in the end. Yeah, and and because of that, he because he knows what the process is, he lords that over her, right? Like, I did it when I was your age, why can't you do it? Blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of, I mean, I know in the end we sympathize, we learn to sympathize with the parents as well, but there's a lot of toxic parenting going on, which um, definitely hit close to home as the child of, you know, immigrants because... I think these were, you know, the types of, um, I don't know, I don't want to generalize, but I feel like. Yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely understand what, what you mean. Um, and it's also like something that other Asians throw uh, their fellow Asians under the bus for, because <laughs> it's like, my parents were strict, but I turned out okay. But like for a lot of us, it's like we we did not turn out okay. A lot of the the strict upbringing and emotional and verbal abuse, like that, impacted us. Like not all of us were able to rebel and get to a point in our lives where we have, um, I guess, like this independence from our parents. Yeah. Uh, and it's really complicated because it's like you because of asian culture and western culture there's like collectiveness and filial piety versus you know being an individual and being independent like how do you reconcile those two opposite ideas and it's such a catch 22 right because like being academia i mean because the way a lot of us gain freedom from our parents is to find a job and move out and be independent. And you can't do that when you're still in school in your late 20s because you're a PhD student. Yeah. Um, there's a quote that I really liked about this conflict between, <laughs> you know, having parents who came to the country with almost nothing and were able to succeed uh, against all of the odds against them. And the quote is, such progress he's made in one generation that to progress beyond him, I feel as if I must leave america and colonize the moon so yeah, yeah. like i mean we're constantly i, I don't know yeah. if you were but like as a kid you know when i was being dressed down for various reasons mostly related to not scoring well in school um constantly reminded how hard my parents worked when they got here from from it's a, from, it's a given if you are a child of immigrants the parents are always like back in my day when i was your age like, I was able to do this, 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 this. Why are yeah. you lazy? Why can't you do this? Oh, man. Such flashbacks when the narrator was describing, like, the forced tutoring sessions. That oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Like, war flashbacks right there. Yeah. And it wasn't until, like, I got to calculus that those sessions stopped. 
Um, A, because my dad started traveling for work more, and B, because the level of math, the level of math went beyond what he was comfortable teaching and like drilling. Yeah. Um, I think there's also like this layer of, of like, are your parents from like super educated backgrounds? Because <laughs> uh, my family is definitely in that in that level because uh my dad went to like pretty much like an ivy league school in korea uh he was like at the top of his class and my mom also went to like an elite school who was also in top of her class in her major um my grandmother was uh one of the first women to graduate from the first official college in korea (laughs) and i have relatives who even though they didn't grow up in America, they went to like Duke University and Columbia. So Whoa. there was a lot of pressure for me as the first uh, first child to learn English as kind of a first language and to uh, attend American schools to succeed because it's like you have all <laughs> of this history of scholars and people who were able to make a difference in uh, Korean history and having cousins who are like pursuing very competitive fields at like Ivy League schools. So um yeah, and also like, you know, I read this book when I was 27, so one year older than the narrator. The narrator <laughs> is 26 years old and she's struggling to uh graduate from her PhD program and um I I never went to grad school. I don't know if I ever will. Um, it is a it is a debate that I have with myself almost every month where I'm like, should I apply <laughs> to, to grad school? Do I like get an MFA or do I like try to do something else? I don't know. But um, at the time when I was an undergrad, um, I guess I was a quote unquote overachiever. Um, I went to New York University. I went to a very expensive school and Uh, For me, it was like, okay, I'm a scholarship student. I want to, you know, make sure my education is worth its while. And I overworked myself quite a bit. And in my final year of of college, I had a mental breakdown. And um, I kind of went through the same thing that uh, the main character went through. And yeah, like it brought back a lot of traumatic memories. <laughs> uh, so yeah, like reading this the second time around in my early 30s, it was quite an experience, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, reading this for the first time as someone in my, I guess you can say late 30s now. Um, shit, I just aged myself, but it brought back memories of those times, right? And I think, you know, the age you are when you read this book really does affect the way you relate to it right i mean like i mentioned at the beginning of the book i definitely sympathize and empathize a lot more with the narrator than it looks like a lot of readers did at the beginning um because the first part of the book really i think a lot of people were more sympathizing with eric's plight and like why can't this narrator get her shit together and like see what a great deal this is right like she has yeah what a great deal (laughs) this is yeah like you don't lose a guy like eric but that's another thing with the narrator like she's seen 
what happens to women who follow their husband's dreams yeah. and how they have to like sacrifice all of their ambitions and how all of that like bubbles up into resentment and ruins families. <laughs> and yeah. it seems like Eric doesn't understand that because he came from a very loving family that never had to make those sacrifices. Yeah, I mean, you know, we get the vignettes into the narrator's sessions with her her therapist, which I thought it was really. I mean, what did you think of the character? Like, what did what did you think of the portrayal of like? Yeah, I'm seeing a shrink, but don't tell anybody. You can't tell anyone I'm doing this. Um. Well, I did have to see a therapist <laughs> during during all of my uh, I guess like emotional mental breakdown um i actually got hospitalized and Um. i couldn't graduate on time on time meaning i was supposed to graduate a semester early but (laughs) (laughs) but uh i was unable to present my thesis and then i got hospitalized and then in order to get out uh my outpatient program was you need to see a therapist and then once and, and then once I got out, I was like, cool, I'm going to move to the other side of the country and leave Manhattan because fuck this. I do not <laughs> want to deal with all of this. So I came to California and I had to go see a therapist because they like followed up. They're like, hey, are you seeing a therapist? And I'm like, fuck, I don't want to, but <laughs> but I have to. So um, so like when I saw my therapist, it was just like a lot of them asking me about like my childhood because every single problem that you have in your life it goes back to your childhood like back to your environment and uh my therapist was not asian so there were a lot of like explanations i had to make it was the same it was the same thing with eric saying why can't you stand up to your parents why can't you do this (laughs) like do you not see that this is emotional abuse and uh now as an adult with more experience um you know it's the same thing that the narrator goes through in the third act of this book like she realizes that being a parent is really hard (laughs) and um like what courage that her parents had because they came to a country around the same time you know like yeah at the same age she did so it doesn't make the things that they said to her and did to her okay but there is this understanding that you know they were humans too that made mistakes yeah like i think a lot of us um once we hit the age that our parents were when they first immigrated you know um it's also the age where you start to talk to your parents more as adults and kind of learn more about their stories and what they were thinking when they came here and you, you know uh, it's something that is the source of a lot of like immigrant fiction these days. Um, I think because a lot of us are at this age where you start to realize that our parents had like full fledged lives and their own dreams when they were our age. And then not all of them came true, whether because they had kids or because they had to move. Uh, you know, a major plot point in the story is her mother and how she was. Back in China, she was the breadwinner of the family, right? She was a pharmacist and she made way more than her father. She had a much more successful career than than her husband. Um, but then her husband had his own dreams and wanted to come to America to become an engineer and wanted her to come with him. And then, But then when she came over, she couldn't use her skills. She couldn't be licensed as a pharmacist because 
of the language barrier, you know. And that's a yeah. story we see a lot, right? Like highly skilled people who aren't able to do what do who aren't able to do like highly educated and skilled people who aren't able to do what they they're meant to do because you know because they can't write or speak in English. Yeah, and there's something like very isolating too about you know moving to America and not knowing the language, but also just not having a support system here. Like you know when you're going through a hard time, you can go see your friends, like the narrator and her best friend, but. Like the narrator's mom did not have that, uh, mainly because of the language barrier. You make a lot of friends through, you know, going to work and talking with your coworkers or going to school. And her mom was just isolated. And the only comfort that she had was calling Shanghai. And that is an experience that a lot of um, immigrant women go through. I think. It's really expected of Asian immigrant women to sacrifice their own dreams for their husband's sake, even if they they are the breadwinners. And um, a lot of the a lot of the fights that the mom and the dad have, like the mom being like, "You wouldn't be where you are unless, like, you know, if I hadn't supported you with my money," and him being like, "Well, I'm the breadwinner now, and I." <laughs> You know, why can't you speak English fluently? Like, why don't you get a job? Like, why aren't you succeeding? And just like a lot of that was very reminiscent of, <laughs> of like my childhood and also a lot of other uh, Asian friends that Those I have. Those fights are very, they were very visceral. And even though like those sections were short, like you can definitely feel it. It reminded me of, um, um, did you watch Minari? No, I, the thing is, <laughs> I have a lot of Korean pride and I, you know, I love the fact that this was like nominated for Oscars and won awards, but I am never going to watch that film. I'm going to, I will cry. I will have there, a crisis and I don't want that. <laughs> there is a scene where the parents have like the exact type of screaming, the, the exact type of screaming fight that this book portrays. And it's very, it's very visceral. Yeah, I don't need that in my life. I have <laughs> like I already I already lived through that. I still live through that. I don't need it. I don't need it in my life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, we uh, talked about like I want to talk about the best friend. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Cuz like I I mean, this is just a random thing, but the baby being called the destroyer was just so funny to me. <laughs> but also a genius, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I really like the relationship with the best friend. You know, best friend offered like a mirror to her own life. And I think <laughs> part of growing up is realizing that not everything is going to turn out the way that you envisioned it as a child, right? Like her best friend seemingly at the beginning of the book had it together, right? She had, she became a doctor. She had a husband. She was having a baby. And those are like the three things like, Basically, she did everything she needed to do to make her her Asian parents happy, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought it was really interesting how she went into medical school because she was forced to, but actually really loved going to medical school and really fell in love with her job. And, you know, she 
married like what like invest investment banker who is like equally successful and it does look like a perfect marriage from the outside but then once they have a kid it kind of falls apart because they're not talking to each other because they have <laughs> such busy schedules and you know they're, they're just like okay we're gonna take shifts and it's like well it sounds okay on paper but being a parent is more than a job you know yeah <laughs> like you you like you have to communicate and um and it just like shows in like the best friend telling the narrator, like, you need to talk to Eric. Like, have you ever told him that you loved him, like, verbally? <laughs> like, have you, like, messaged him? So, yeah, it's, like you said, it's like a parallel of what the narrator could. And at the same time, it's also, like, you know, while the narrator's going through her shit, the best friend also was going through her own version of chemistry. I liked how chemistry is the title of the book not only because the main character you know is a chemist but also like chemistry romantic chemistry <laughs> and also uh like what like i think chemistry actually means like the study of change which is pretty much what the character goes through a lot of changes um and there was a passage where she talks about like what the chinese word for chemistry was and mm -hmm. like how the homonyms mean different things and i forgot what the actual um phrase that she uses it was like the melting of snow the melting of change yeah like chemistry is huashe but then the, the thing with chinese words is yeah there's a lot of homonyms and depending on what tone you're using the meaning of the word changes so there's a lot of different ways hua and she can be you know, remixed. Um, I yeah, did, and the use of language was really nice in the book. I mean, it's a little tidbit, but... I mean, we haven't talked about it, but like all the little um, sprinkling of specifically Chinese-American-ness into the story was very, very fun. Um, the fact that, like she mentioned, like you need to learn about 3,000 Chinese words to be able to read a Chinese newspaper, and she only knows 1,000, so she can read bits and pieces of it, is exactly my situation. I only, I <laughs> only know enough to like kind of be able to read the headlines and intuit what it means what the what the story means um the superstition that you know children's traits are chosen in the womb and basically if you're if you're a lazy fetus i guess um you choose all the bad traits because my parents are always reminding me about all of their bad traits that i inherited and like bad eyesight and you know high blood pressure and things like that and the thing that um i don't know if your mother or your parents do this too but my mom definitely has this bad habit of like always having one last thing to add to the end of any argument so that you can never have the last word and if you react you're in the wrong um i i don't know like my, the fights with my mom has always been like i guess like before i became like a a quote-unquote adult it was just me sitting there and just listening to her rants so there wasn't like a one last thing because i sat for the entire thing so. mm. but like i remember actually this is really funny because um like not that long ago like uh dan was asking me like oh like have you ever spoken up to your parents like he's seen me sp like speak up to like my dad and my mom like as like an adult but he was like oh did you like grow up not rebelling against your parents 
And I was like, I can think of the exact moment where I spoke up to my mom and it did not yeah. go well. And it's like, we don't that's have... not something that actually, like, it's just not culturally possible <laughs> without repercussions. Yeah, it's not even like physically possible right because it's not physically possible to have a conversation with i mean in my experience have a conversation with parents without it devolving to a screaming fight that doesn't happen until way later because i think part of it is they have to see you as an adult too and parents will never do that especially if like you know you haven't achieved adultness in their eyes yeah yeah and and you know like with the whole strictness it's like they're trying to teach you to be quote-unquote fearless like you're prepared for anything like if you're able to achieve my standards you'll be able to achieve anybody's standards and it's like dude yeah and i think that standards are impossible (laughs) and that's part of the disconnect right because as quote-unquote culturally americans we're taught not to care about other people's standards right the only standards you need to follow are your own yeah But there's the disconnect there, like when you have high standards of your own and you don't meet them, you feel like a complete failure. And yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a there's a quote in here that I really related to. Um, It's when the narrator is talking to her best friend saying, did I go into science because I liked it or because I was in the beginning very good at it and began to like it? And Like, I definitely, it's really funny because the narrator is in a STEM field. Like, we always think about science as, like, a stable field. Like, it is the field that your parents want you to go into. Yeah. It is the field that, you know, they brag to other parents about. But it is just as, I guess, like, unpredictable as (laughs) any other creative field. Because I definitely felt that with, like, art and with writing because it's like well did i like drawing because i was initially good at it and (laughs) that was like the only thing that i found myself like picturing myself doing but then i ended up hating it a lot same thing with writing like i got into writing because i was somewhat good at it and it's like honestly did i have any other options (laughs) i mean you're still at the whims of the people above you are the people who have established themselves in the field and like the panels of people who judge your work based on things that you publish or based on your, your track record, your portfolio. And uh, like, like with Eric, for example, like she, the narrator asks him, like, how did you make that jump from being a PhD student to like, you know, having your PhD? And he's like, I don't know. I just did it. And she finds out later that it's because he actually loves chemistry and it's not just him being good at it. He actually has a sense of curiosity and discovery, which is like the foundation of being a scientist. Whereas with her, she realizes like she doesn't have it and that's why she hasn't made the jump. But at the same time, when she's tutoring these kids, she realizes that the skills that she did learn in her years of studying science it comes in handy like nothing really goes to waste and her students appreciate her and they i feel like they learn more through her like funny way of teaching than 
any other tutor being like, okay, sit down. This is how you memorize shit. Like, yeah. this is how you pass your mathematics class. She makes learning accessible. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the inner conflict, right? It's like, in order for her to fulfill her parents' dreams, she has to become someone like Eric, right? Someone who succeeds in the field, not doesn't just become a, a technician. I guess the thing with Eric and her dad is that they have that fundamental skill or mindset of no matter how many times you fail, you're going to try again. Being a scientist means that you're going to make like mistakes 99% of the time and you have to be okay with that. You have to be an optimist. And the narrator is not an optimist. She is very impatient and, you know, like with more failures, with her job being like stuck in step eight out of 25 and doing the same thing over and over again, she just, you know, she just doesn't have that mindset. And really, it's okay. And that's the whole point of the book, being okay with knowing that, you know, like being okay with knowing your limit and not punishing yourself for it. Yeah, a common step of adulthood, at least for us, is realizing that we should be nicer to ourselves. Just because something doesn't go according to plan doesn't mean everything is ruined. It's what you do after a failure that shows who you are as a person. Or that is the theme that I got overall from reading this book. I did appreciate all the humor in the book, too. Like, this is a, it's a very witty book. Um, and there's a lot of, like, a lot of, would you say dry humor? Sprinkle throughout like a lot of yeah i think it's yeah. it's like rye humor yeah <laughs> self-deprecating humor as i well. especially i don't know there, there's just so much of this story that i could relate to not just like the being a child of immigrants and like having you know pass overachiever tendencies but also things like complaining about how winter air sucks like she lives in boston and she spends like at least a ton of the the, the segments complaining about how like the winter air makes her face hurt, which as people who have lived on the East Coast, we can relate to, right? That's why I moved. I was like, fuck winter. <laughs> fuck being cold. Why would I stay here if I, if I don't have to? <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time I experienced it and I was like, man, okay, I need, to, I need to put on the scarf or else I will die. I mean, like spending a good chunk of my childhood in, in the East Coast, I, I knew what it was going to be like going back and I was like, not looking forward to it. That's like one thing I really hate about the East Coast. And yeah, I definitely related to to her hatred for, for winter and yeah. her complaining about it for, for a while. And then, you know, uh, all, all, all the silly things that her dog does. It was funny. Um, and then I, I, I don't know why this, this segment just made me laugh, but the, the one where her best friend gives her a damn it doll, kind of like a stress doll. And she names doll. it and she names it Science You Motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever works, I guess. <laughs> Everybody needs an outlet for stress. It was <laughs> sweet that her her best friend thought of her. Yeah. I guess um wrapping up the discussion, I really did appreciate this book. I, I like the fact that even though Eric is like the focal point of like part one of the book, like her relationship with Eric, that relationship isn't the end goal of the story. Like I really appreciate how in part two it was more about her finding herself now that this anchor isn't there anymore and i enjoyed following her on her journey of self-discovery because like i mentioned it mirrors a lot of 
the things that I myself went had to go through to come to terms with my childhood and my relationship with my parents as well. And even though it wasn't like a feel good, optimistic, you can do a coming of age story. Like, and in the end, it's not even you know she finds new resolve and she finds more peace with herself. But you know, she's still technically unemployed, right? Like, she's still just um. I mean, she's getting bank for her tutoring jobs. Yeah. You know, it, it's similar to where a lot of my friends end up, which is like, we, we may not be the star engineer, lawyer, chemist that our parents wanted us to be, but we found a place where we feel like we belong and we're, we're doing well enough to live our life the way we want to. And I think that's the start of where the narrator ends up in this book as well. Yeah. I mean, were you okay with the ending of the book? Because I know some people might be irritated by by like her not getting back with Eric, Eric being like, I'll come by just as a friend and you know, their relationship not being completely resolved. I mean, what did you think? Because for me, like I mentioned, like I like the fact that the second part of this book wasn't about Eric and this story wasn't about her realizing, oh no, what have I done? What have I lost? Right. Because I don't think like Eric might have been good for her, but he wasn't good for her at the time that he was there. Right. Maybe it was a timing issue. Um, And that's like real life relationship isn't about like that magical moment or the one. Right. It's about two people finding themselves at the right time and a lot of luck. Yeah. I I liked her decision because I don't know if she actually says it out loud to Eric, but she comes to decision of I want to do more for myself before i get married like i want to succeed more personally before i get married to someone who is also successful because then otherwise i'm just going to be resentful the entire time and i thought that was like a very mature decision yeah so to me like the ending seemed really appropriate because she's she's not there yet she hasn't reached the level of success and uh comfort that she wants so I thought it was a pretty good ending. Um, this is definitely not a book for people who want like. Resolution. Yeah, it's not a romance. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what people expected, like her to like chase after him in Ohio. Like the whole point of the first book is reasons why that is a bad idea, right? I think more people are like it's not so much the romantic relationship, but it's also the fact that you know she isn't like there isn't like a final decision on her career. Or a final resolution with her parents. Because I don't think she even tells her parents that, you know, she quit her PhD program. She's like, I will tell them on my own time. I will tell them once I reach a level of of success where I don't fear for my life. I mean, I guess. I I didn't find that to be an issue with the ending, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have any problems with the ending. I'm just saying that other people might. Oh, I don't know. I feel like if that's your take, then what have you been reading for the last few hours, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because like you mentioned that people complain that there's little or no plot. But like I mentioned at the top of the show, there's tons of development. Like she's a totally different person from at the end of the book than she was at the beginning of the book, right? She's had time to work through her issues um, and experience life without, I think, you know, Eric being the idealized version of a chemist gave her someone to compare herself to 24-7, which also is not super healthy too, right? You know, we, we're already compared to other people by our parents enough. Having someone there to constantly remind you of ways that you aren't succeeding must have been 
hard for her as well, right? Yeah. And also she's a woman in like a male dominated field. So there's also this this idea of like being competition for other women in that field because there can only be one. So yeah, like her comparing herself constantly to other people. Not healthy. Yeah. But let us know what you guys thought about chemistry in our Goodreads forums. Um, it was really nice to read other people's thoughts while we were discussing. And yeah, we always love to hear what you guys think. Um, and with that, I guess, any final thoughts on chemistry? As someone who read this book twice, I recommend that you read chemistry twice. And <laughs> I recommend that you read it when you have a little bit of distance from your life and and more of a perspective because i feel like that definitely enriched my experience of reading chemistry yeah i mean definitely i can see how you know depending on where you are your own relationship with the themes of the book it'll take on different meanings for you and that's that's the that's the mark of a good work which is something that evolves every time you read it so yeah thank you to waki wang for writing such a great book and I guess with that, that'll do it for our discussion of chemistry. As always, you can support our podcast by giving us a rating, a review on iTunes, by purchasing books off our bookshop.org, and by purchasing our new merch. Um, like, like we mentioned at the top of our show, we have new tote bags and t-shirts and sweatshirts for sale. Um, so you can show off that you're a part of this book club. Check it all out. You can find links to everything on booksandloba.com. But with that, I guess, yeah, what are we reading for October, for Spooky Month 2021? Spooktober. Woo. Okay. So we are reading The Inugami Clan by Seshi Yokomizo. And it is the sixth book in the Detective Kosuke Kendaichi series. But like all, like, like most mystery series, it's a standalone. I think Inugami Clan is probably the most well-known one out of the Kendaichi series. Uh, and Seshi Yokomizo is um, someone who is kind of attributed to be like the Conan Doyle of J Japanese mystery. Um, and the book was published back in like 1970-something. So it is, a, it is quite an old book. It's been adapted into multiple films and series, multiple films and TV series. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy it because I remember reading it back in high school and thought, man, this is my jam. Let's <laughs> see if I can, let's see if I still agree as, as like an adult. So yeah, we'll be discussing that book at the end of October. So looking forward to um, checking it out. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Boba. Have a great Spooktober. All right. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Ryu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.
Hi, I'm Quincy Cho. And I'm Kaycon Apu. And we host Marvel Makeup. It's a podcast where I teach Quincy a little about Marvel. And I teach Kay a little bit about makeup. Join us as we watch and talk about every movie and TV show in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I'm mostly watching for the first time. And join us as we apply makeup stuff to our faces, which I'm using for the first time. Marvel Makeup is part of the Potluck Podcast Collective, and you can find new episodes every other Monday wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can catch video versions of Marvel Makeup on our YouTube channel. So please rate, review, and subscribe. And please give us five stars so our Asian moms will understand why we buy so much electronic equipment. Because it's for this podcast, Marvel Makeup.